0: Today, we're going to talk about a God who doesn't do what I would do if I were God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we're going to actually read a lot of Scripture. I'm not going to read all 44 verses for you while you're standing. And all God's people said... Amen, right? Amen. You don't, you don't want to have to stand here as I read this, but I want you to see and hear as we read this story. I'm also going to tell you my story because my story is a story where God didn't do what I thought that he would do given the scenario. So here we go, starting in John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord Dear Heavenly Father, with your word fresh upon our hearts, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you seal it there. Lord, I pray that as we see your hand in our lives, Lord, I pray that the reflection to the world is that our God reigns. Lord, I pray today in the midst of difficult days, of hard days, Lord, I pray that we can see your hand glorifying in our lives. Lord, I pray that you help us to live according to your word. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I love the simplicity that that is started here in this passage. It's, It's the simplicity that says, Jesus, it's not just anybody that we're talking about here. Jesus loves Lazarus. He has a deep relationship with him. It kind of unpacks. He talks about his sisters, and he talks about all this connection. And he says, Jesus loves Lazarus. And and he goes on to say he's sick. His sisters are worried. And so they get this message, and he says, it's for the glory of God, and it's not going to end in death. I think it's important for us to understand that at the very beginning of this, Jesus is setting all the parameters. Sometimes Jesus doesn't do what I think Jesus should do or what Jesus what I would do if I were Jesus. I don't know if you ever feel that way, but I think sometimes we get so comfortable with Scripture that we miss the real essence of what we're saying. You're going to see that as we read this text a little bit because there are some things in here I wish that they would include emotion on these black and white pages of Scripture. Because I think if you could read emotion, it might help us better understand what's actually happening in the text. But I want you to know, if our Jesus and my friend, whom I dearly loved, was sick, I'd do something about it. Right? The guy that I love is dearly sick, and his sister tells me he's sick. If our Jesus, and I had the power, the authority, the ability to fix I'd fix. By nature, I'm a fixer. I like to fix things. My brain wrestles all the time with what I can do. It makes me feel like I've accomplished something. It makes me feel like I've done something. So in a moment when somebody comes to me in need, my first response is, how can I fix it? If I were Jesus, i get this message. I'd go into fix it mode. Verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. This doesn't make sense. Why does it start with he loved Martha, he loved Mary, he loved Lazarus. When he found out he was sick, he stayed. I think it's intentional that he says that he loves us. Because I think he's saying, my actions are fixed to show something that you're not going to feel like is love. You ever had interactions with Jesus where it didn't feel like the way he was responding to you was, was love? It didn't feel like he did what you would do if you were him in that scenario where Jesus didn't speak to you when you felt like that's all that you needed. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you, and now you're going there again? Can I translate that for you? We're going to go with you, and they're going to throw rocks at you, and if they miss you, they're going to hit us, right? Are you sure you want to go back? Where I'm, a, I mean, we love to read scripture and act like these guys are all noble and all thinking about other people, but let's get real. Hey, they're going to throw stones at you, and I'm by you, and more than likely, they're not all going to have good aim, and I'm going to get hit. Let's go a different direction. We can go see your buddy, but we can bypass. I don't want to get hit with the stones. Jesus answered. Hey, I don't want to go through there. I don't want to get hit with a stone. So here's Jesus' response. Are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What? (laughs) Jesus, we're talking about not getting stoned. And your response is some nonsense riddle about walking in the... He didn't shed any new light. We all know that if we walk in the daylight, we don't stumble. If we walk at dark, we're going to stub our toe. What is Jesus talking? It's almost like Jesus is not even in the room in the midst of this conversation. It's like, what are you talking about? After he says these things, he looks at him and says... Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples, in their attempt to correct Jesus, have you ever needed to correct Jesus? Right? The disciples, in their need to correct Jesus, they, they step in and they say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Jesus, do you not know how this works? You go take a good long nap when you get a cold and you feel better, right? It works at me. You ever looked at Jesus and said, you're not making sense. Let me bring you back into reality. This is the disciples' attempt to ground Jesus, right? To say, come back here with me. But Jesus looks at them at this point and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not the one who's missing it. You are. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And to me, the most challenging words in Scripture, verse 15, And for your sake, I am glad. And for your sake, I am glad. In April of 2014, I was pastoring Forest Baptist Church. It was a Wednesday. I was sitting in my office and I could hear my voice, my wife's voice in the outer office. She went into my student pastor's office. They were talking about student ministry that night. She passed out, hit her head, and went into a seizure. Over the next three days, she had 32 seizures. We were at Baptist Hospital in Jackson. After we'd been there for several days, the, the doctor walked into me and said, These are non epileptic, psychosogenic seizures. And I looked at him and I said, no, sir, you're, you're not right. These are real seizures. I, I'm watching her. Her whole body convulses. And she, her eyes roll back in her head. And, and I'm watching these seizures. And he said, sir, you're going to have to listen to me. Th- these are psychogenic seizures. I had no idea what that meant. To me, that meant she was making something up in her brain. And, and her brain was responding. What I, I didn't know is that was the body's response to trauma. You see, my wife had grown up in an abusive home. And the, the challenge and the stress of what was happening in my life and the ministry that, that I was leading, I say collided with the stress of her past, and it was catastrophic. They discharged us and sent us to University Hospital, to the psych unit at University Hospital. I don't know if you've ever been to the psych unit at University Hospital. To be honest with you, I'd only visited patients at that point, and it's a whole different ballgame when you walk into one of those places with your wife. This particular unit is in the very center of the hospital. It's in the old part that hasn't been updated. It's dingy, it's dark, it's scary. There were no doors on all of the the bedrooms. It was just room after room after room. As I walked into the room, the guy in the room that was next to my wife's, there's no doors between them, is doing this to my wife. He looked her up and down. I didn't know what to do. I didn't understand what was happening. I was scared to death. I have zero at that point mental health training in my life. I'm just looking going, my wife needs help. And this is the place that they sent me to get help. And it does not feel safe. And so I looked at my wife and I said, you're coming with me. And we left what they call AMA, against medical advice. We walked through the bowels of the hospital. I had a friend that was picking us up. There was literally a tornado going over the hospital at the time that we were We were going through, we say a tornado was going on the outside and a tornado was happening on the inside. As we got to the outside, we walked out of the cold hospital into the warm air because there was a tornado going over. And as that warm air hit my wife's face, she had a seizure. I was holding my wife standing on the outside of Baptist Hospital, tears flowing down my face saying, baby, I will not take you back in there. We got in the car. We went to a a hospital in Memphis on the next day. Felt safe. Felt secure. Honestly, as I look back on it, it was probably safe and secure at, at UMC. But I wasn't ready. We got to this hospital at UMC, and you have to sign everything away. And she walks into this room, and she can't have shoelaces, and she can't have a belt, and she can't, you name it. She walks in, and all of luxury was taken from her no cell phone no nothing I could talk I could call her at certain hours on certain days it it was the scariest thing I've ever done I got in the car and I drove three hours back home at that point we have five kids my oldest was nine they ranged in age from nine to two got home and I did the best I could to try to explain what's happening to mom. But the reality is on the inside of me, I had no idea what was happening with mom. And so the only thing that I could express to them was gibberish. Honestly, my kids will still tell you to this day that my lack of communication with them created hurt in their life. I've had the opportunity to look at them and said, I did the best I could. I, did, I didn't know. And it doesn't make sense because adults are supposed to know. For me, it felt like my wife was dying. At one point in the journey, I got in the car and drove from Forest, Mississippi. And about the time I got on I-55, just south of Vaden. I was going to the hospital to ask the psychiatrist one question. Is this it? Is this the new norm? Is this what has happened to my wife? So one question I have fueling in the back of my mind. And as I got on I-55 just south of Aden, I got a phone call. It was a phone call from a church planner in New York City. His name is Andrew Mann. Andrew said, hey, Scott, do you remember a few years ago when you were up here and you gave your shirt to that guy? And I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, I just wanted you to know that we are, are going to baptize that guy this coming up Sunday, and I want you to know that you introduced us to him, and as a result, God is working in his life, and we're going to have the opportunity to baptize him. I said, like, Oh, that's great. That's great news. Immediately, I'm telling you, as soon as I hung up the phone, my dad called. That's actually my stepdad, and... My parents are divorced, and so it's, it's a little unique for us to be talking in the middle of the week, but he knew what was happening in my life. And so he called, and, and we had this quick conversation. And as soon as I hung up the phone, within three or four minutes, his son, my brother, called. And when, his, when he called, he said, and I quote, Dad just called me, and he said, your brother needs you. The ownership in that your brother, the combination of those three phone calls back to back to back to back was God whispering, I see you. It was one of the most unbelievable experiences of my life. I didn't know at the moment, but that's what was going on, was that I felt unseen, I felt alone, I felt scared, and I did not have any tools in my tool bag to be able to share any of that with anybody. I felt my job, my job as husband, my job as father, my job as pastor, (laughs) (coughs) was to have it all together. I thought that whatever the scenario, that I was supposed to be able to look at people and say, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. But I didn't have it in me to be able to proclaim that at that moment. And I didn't have the words to look and to say, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. So God whispers, I see you. Jesus looks at them in verse 15 and says, And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. I hope you're understanding where we are in the Gospel of John. And I know we just jumped in and we haven't seen the whole context. But these disciples, from this point on, Jesus is taking a steady march to the cross. This is not the beginning of the ministry. This is the end. This is guys that have walked with him for three years. And he is still looking at them at this point and saying, I am glad that you didn't experience that, that, that he died so that you may believe. I don't know where you are in your faith journey. I was the pastor of Forest Baptist Church, had been in full-time ministry for 10 or 15 years at that point, had been to seminary multiple times, had all these degrees, and God was still looking at me saying, I am so glad that this has happened so that you can believe. So Thomas called the twin. Here, you need emotion in this text because there's two ways that you could read this. So Thomas, the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Could be the way he said it. Or he could say, So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go with him also that we may die with him. Changes everything, doesn't it? based on what I know of Thomas's life I think he's the Eeyore one I think he's the second guy right let us go with him that we may die also now when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming she went and she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Honestly, I don't think that she has the words to express her pain. I think she started. If you had been here, he would he'd have been saved. I think, honestly, she's frustrated with him. But we can't be. We don't allow ourselves to be frustrated with Jesus. We don't allow ourselves to look at God and say, you don't make sense. Even though we go back and read throughout the book of Psalms and we find David pouring out his heart saying, God, I don't understand, but I do trust you. God, I'm I'm hurt. Where were you? Thank you for being here. I think that's where Martha is. Uh, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know you can raise him again at the resurrection. She knows these things. She's heard these things. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, she sat in the pews and she knows the Bible left and right, backward and forward. And I wonder how many of us are sitting here today and are scared to express our hearts and our emotions to God fully. I was. I was. I was. And I am so grateful that I went through the experience that I am telling you about now because I can now look at you and say, I am willing to say, God, you frustrate me sometimes. I don't understand. And I want to understand. I want to know you, but I'm so scared right now. And my level of intimacy with him and with others has been totally transformed Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know, I know, he'll rise again on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I think this is, honestly, I think if there were emotion here, I think Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I think he's speaking forcefully at this moment. Like I'm not talking about some future tense. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about now. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I believe she's starting to grasp it. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. What a proclamation. I think she's honestly getting real now. I think it's gone these 18 inches, as the Lewis would say. I think it just transferred from her head to her heart. Yes, I believe. I firmly believe that you can change everything. When she had said this, she went and she called to her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but while she was still in the place where Martha had him, then the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise, go out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. But when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think Mary comes with her heart. I think she comes with all of her emotion. I think there's hurt and pain, and I think there's some frustration in this one. I'm reading into the text. I wish that the emotions were written in there. But based on Jesus' response... When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Some of my favorite words in Scripture, John eleven thirty five, 35. And Jesus wept. You know what I like about those ter- that word? He didn't cry. He didn't get misty. He goes into the ugly cry. I think he loses control. I think he is looking at Mary who is here that has just expressed her heart and her emotions. And he's looking around at all the people that are hurting. He knows. He has already proclaimed this isn't going to end in death. He's already looked at Martha and said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He knows what he's about to do. It's not a surprise. He knows that Lazarus is fixing to come out of that grave. but he feels our pain. I don't want you to miss this. That Jesus is literally weeping, knowing the end of the story, knowing the victory is coming, knowing that the victory is literally at hand, and he takes the time to look at Mary, Martha, and everyone around and to feel their pain. I think it changes with Mary because I think she legitimately brought her pain. I think she legitimately brought her heart. And I think she laid it at Jesus' feet. Have you noticed how many times he's talked about belief? In this one passage alone, he talks about believing six times in this one story do we really believe we ended up leaving the hospital in memphis and taking my wife down to a hospital in new orleans the, they had miswritten a prescription they were giving her antidepressants and the more antidepressants gave they gave her the more manic she became these are all terms that I didn't really know what they meant. I didn't have any frame of reference. Her last week that she was in Memphis, they were giving her two Ambien a night, and she had not slept in seven days. To say she was not thinking clearly is an understatement. She was in a whole nother world. When we got to the hospital in New Orleans, as scary as I thought things were in Jackson, a psych unit in New Orleans is ten times as scary as anything I've ever experienced. It was a big open room like this. There were some tough dudes in that room, tattoos in their necks and women in there. And I was scared and we, I had to leave her. I got halfway on the Ponchatoula Bridge coming home. and My wife called me in tears and said, this isn't safe, come get me. Come get me. And I had to say, I'll come visit you at visiting hours. I turned around and I went and she had a best friend that was in New Orleans at the time. Uh, Me and my brother stayed at her house. We went to visit her. That night they didn't give her any, any of her medications. Not one medication and she slept for 17 hours straight. When she woke up the next morning, her psychiatrist walked up to her. There's a whole bunch of funny stories I could tell in the midst of all that. I will tell you one. That night, she was sitting in that big room and she went over to a corner. She had her, her, head, her elbows on her knees and her hands in her head. She was sobbing. And this one young lady who was about her age came over, put her arm around Candace and said, I cried my first day here too. It's going to be okay. She woke up after the 17 hours of sleep. The psychiatrist came into her and said, we want to try to give you a lithium. She said, no, 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 no. I'm not bipolar. I'm just, I'm not doing well right now. I'm not bipolar. And so the doctor then lied to her. He said, well, sometimes when we give people lithium, it can help this medication be absorbed. So we think if you'll just try it for three days, we think that it will, uh, it will help you. And um, that is not true. Lithium brings you into stability when you are bipolar. And so um, after about three days, my wife's emotions began to stabilize And I remember starting to look and go, there are glimpses of my wife that at this point I have not seen in the last six months. She came home and she went to outpatient therapy at Three Oaks, which is group therapy. Eight to ten people sitting in a circle talking about their struggles honestly and openly. She would come home and she would tell me what was happening in group therapy. And I would look at her and go, that sounds an awful like... lot like what church is supposed to be like. I remember I was the pastor of Forest Baptist Church. And this message of belief still was sinking in. It had not sunk in. So I remember standing and going, Church, this is what you are to be like. And never modeling it for myself. Never experiencing, having an expectation of people of something that I was not doing or leading or experiencing myself. I remember being frustrated that the church didn't just do what she was experiencing and the healing that she was getting here. Quite a bit different than Jesus looking at the hurt and the pain and weeping with them. Verse 34, where have you laid him? I mean, verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him? And I love this. And some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? They're scoffing at him. They're making fun of him. They're questioning him. It doesn't slow him down. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. If you have the King James Version, I love the way they wrote, he words this. It says, Lord, he stinketh. I love that word. He's been in there for four days and he stinketh. There's going to be a great odor. You know, know, Jesus, again, why do we sometimes feel this need to inform Jesus of things? (laughs) Right? Like, and bless her heart, it gets recorded for all eternity. (laughs) So they took away the stone. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out and his hands were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. As my wife started going to that outpatient therapy, as she started unpacking some of the horrors and the tragedies that have kept her bound for 35 years, Jesus looked at her and said, unbind her. Let her go. My wife is still bipolar. My wife still takes medication. My wife's emotions still go high and they still go low. They change. We have found they change with the seasons. But my wife is alive. My life is well. My wife is well. My wife has difficulties. And my wife changed my life my wife opened my eyes to realize that I had cut off my emotions I had stuffed them I had put them down in an attempt to be holy to be righteous to be positive positive. and I had cut off the very thing that God has created in us to express our lives. When I read this text, when I think about my journey, when I know the Bible like we know the Bible, I can't help but wonder if there are other people for one reason or the next that have cut this part off from this part and I love the fact that Jesus is looking today and he's saying you believe now trust me trust me with that scary part of your life that you don't think anybody else could ever understand or ever know I believe he puts us in safe spaces. And I think we have to be intentional to put ourselves in safe spaces to where we can open this part up to one another so that we can ultimately open this part up to him. So my question for you is how are you doing communicating all of who you are to all of who he is. I believe the change in the text is when Mary brings herself to Jesus. Not hidden. Not ashamed. Broken and hurting. And I believe the change in our lives is when we bring ourselves broken And hurting, not with all the answers, but with more questions, and say, God, I need you, is when He steps in and says, Watch what I'm about to do. Could today be the day that you, like me, drop the facade of having it all together? and come broken before the King of kings and the Lord of lords who wants to heal and resurrect and unbind you and let you go. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I I thank you. I thank you that you put instances in our lives, Lord, where you don't make sense to make us better understand how you make perfect sense. God, give us courage to dive on the inside of who we are and bring all of who we are to all of who you are. Lord, connect our brains and our hearts so that we can truly believe who you are. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.